This is episode 58 of Alohomora for November 23rd, 2013. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Michael Harley. My name is Eric Skull. My name is Kat Miller. And our guest today, well, I don't know. Is he a guest? I guess. I mean, you guys might know him. Kind He's of. He's a guest and a best friend. Aww. I'm not going to tell you his name. So we'll just let everybody guess as it goes on. Wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> Noah's like, this is BS. It's Noah, everybody. Our guest today is Noah. Hey guys, Alohomora, what's up? Open the double door. Noah, you're back. Woo! Hey, back. I saw I saw that trailer uh, of you with uh, with uh, Emma Watson in it. You did. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Are you talking about the eighth Harry Potter movie? What What do you? Uh, no, no, no. The movie about? called Noah. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, they released the trailer. <laughs> no, it's, it, this works so oh, much less when you have to explain it. Yeah, I didn't get it either, Eric. I'm sorry. It works so much less when you have to explain it. You know, I, that's okay. I had actually thought about auditioning for that part of uh, one of the the running boys for the for the arc, but I don't oh, think really? I had the genetic makeup for the for the role. Do you mean is is it your beard? Because I can't grow facial hair either. No, no, I, I could do that. I just needed a a longer Jewish beard, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's say uh, guess types of beard. Well, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> guys and guys in theater is is a is a useful commodity. Mm-hmm. I would have thought you'd get the part immediately. But whatever. What do I know? <laughs> I should at least have it with the namesake, but that role's already taken. <laughs> the role of Noah <laughs> will be played by Noah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. A hell of a cover letter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we're very glad you're back for this particular chapter, Noah, to remind our listeners. This episode, we are examining chapter 20, the first task. This is the big one. So make sure you read that before you listen to the episode. This is the big task, isn't it? I don't think the other tasks are as cool. Oh, I disagree, um, but we'll get there. Oh, Yeah, we will certainly get there. Before we do, we are going to read some comments from our discussion on the previous week when we did chapter 19 of Goblet of Fire. Here are some comments from <clears throat> the Alohomora main site, alohomora.mugglenet.com. Always Well says, I found it interesting that Kat talked about Harry's need to learn to be on his own now that he's fighting with Ron, which is a lesson that helps him later on in the series. But the truth is, he's not alone. He has Hermione. Even those of us who love Hermione's character can sometimes subconsciously discount what she brings to the table as Harry's friend, and I find that really fascinating. Okay, well, in defense of myself, I'm, I was trying to remember when I read this comment exactly what I was talking about. Yes, I know Hermione is there, but I think <laughs> the fact that like Harry internally struggles on his own and doesn't have his best friend to talk to, regardless of Hermione, um, I think definitely helps him out later in the series. Yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree. Um, Harry is always kind of, this isn't quite the book where he pushes everyone away actively, that's five, but, um, he is, he is having some very internal, the fact that he's lost his buddy, like, yes, Hermione's there, but the fact that he's lost his buddy and has to go through this whole thing on, like, it still feels to him as if it's on his own, I believe, especially because she spends, you know, most of her trying to help him, just blabbing on about la 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 la. 
So he really does feel, I think, that it is. And it's got to be him alone in the tournament. That's the other thing is as a champion, which Hermione is not, he really is alone when it comes to the very bare bones downs to it. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I would agree with you. There was a lot of talk about Mad-Eye Moody. Um, you guys did mention last week uh, just something about his eye, how he was able to, to spy through Harry's invisibility cloak. We got a lot of feedback about that. I'm just going to uh, read a couple of things here. Olivia Underwood said, When you were talking about Mad-Eye's eye being able to see under invisibility cloaks and perhaps other things, I sort of thought of Umbridge having lodged it in her office door in the last book in order to spy on other people. Perhaps she's a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I just assumed it was disciplinary, like, you know, to, to, exactly, to look at other people, but not in any weird way. Well, it, like, went out into the hallway, so, I mean, unless there's something frisky going on in the hallway, I don't think she's going to be spying on anything. Is there any indication in the book that she can actually use that eye, though, or is it just there as intimidation? Because it's not in her socket, is it? No. No, but she has that telescope thing stuck to it, doesn't she? Yeah, she's got oh. it. She's, it's kind of like, you know, like the, the viewing hole in like a hotel doorway, I thought was kind of the concept. Ah. Yeah. So. Well, uh, there was a three-way discussion happening between... But a uh, bing, uh, pun intended. A number well... <laughs> hey, if you had Mad-Eye's eye, you would have seen it. Um, but on, there was just, uh, three people chimed in, uh, to this comment, which again happened actually still here on our main site. Um, usually we get multi-layered discussions on the forums, but this time we got on the main site. All was well, Knight, Griffinpuff, and Daniel Sharp all mentioned basically about, uh, the fact that the, the eye should not be able to see through Harry's cloak because it is a hallow. Um, all was well pointed this out. Knight Griffinpuff then said that it was probably due to the writing process that, you know, J.K. Rowling hadn't quite figured out that it was a hollow just yet. And Daniel Sharp pointed out uh, a comment that I wanted to make when I was listening to last week's uh, episode, guys, uh, which I wasn't on, which is that the story uh, of the Hallows, you know, is still kind of a fairy tale. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Death himself uh, is trying to find the cloak and can't. So it, because death can't find the cloak, people found that there was a problem with that. And I, I would tend to agree. Why can Mad-Eye's eye do something that death itself can't? Because it's awesome. No, I don't know. We may, I mean, that's, we that's may that's never know. True. We may never know. Um, but a uh, similar discussion here, still on Mad-Eye, from Subjective Unicorn. A <laughs> fun name. Well, yeah. his eye can see, or uh, his eye can even see through walls in the fifth book. When he's having a look in the House of Black through a few walls and a wardrobe, he could identify that there is a boggart. I wonder how the world looks to him without walls and barriers, just people walking on air in their underwear. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, can it actually see through clothes, or is this just a running joke? <laughs> if it can see through walls, I'd like to hope that it can see through clothes. Otherwise, what good is it? <laughs> uh, right? I mean, that's true. Oh, that's really well, funny. Yeah, I, I, I love the way Subjected Unicorn put that. Um, and Knight Griffinpuff, of course, responded. Uh, this is a bit longer, so bear with me. Uh, this is actually a very interesting question. How does he control it? How does it work? If he can see through desks, then he can logically see through people as well, right? In that case, how can he even detect whether people are there or not if he is seeing through them? I imagine it's sort of like a hologram 
He sees the outline of a person, desk, whatever, so he knows that they are there, but he can also see through them at the same time to the objects that are behind them. So if there were a crowd, he would have a lot of trouble seeing activity that is more than a couple people deep in the crowd. Perhaps people slash objects in front could be slightly darker holograms than those behind. Perhaps he could squint to focus a bit on a certain depth. As far as clothing, for good or ill, I imagine that it would be a slightly darker hologram that he could see through to the person beneath. But then he would also be able to see through the skin as well, to the bones, and to the blood vessels. Hey, I think I'm onto something. Moody would make a ridiculous doctor. I think he missed his calling. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I think that I think that makes the most sense, actually, of the ways to explain it. Because if Moody's constantly seeing through everything, in a way, he wouldn't be seeing anything. <laughs> well, we should also we should also keep in mind he's got one good eye. Yeah, um, maybe which, that's what balances it out. Which can't see through every or anything um, more than normal. I, what um, about what about ghosts? Would ghosts appear as an even lighter hologram image, or would they be the same? Because they're transparent. He probably <laughs> wouldn't see them with a the magic eye. He'd probably see them with a the normal eye. They wouldn't even appear, or maybe yeah. maybe they appear. Just as uh, whole as humans. Well, although I wanted to save this for book five, that I realize it's over a year away, and maybe people will forget I can ask it again, but this thing that is brought up about him being able to see the Bogart in book five, nobody knows what a Bogart looks like when it hasn't taken the shape of anything. Yeah. But apparently Mad-Eye does. So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, because he can identify what it is. I was thinking about this, um, reading through the comments this week. And I think that Moody's eye can probably only see through things that are not alive. You know, mm. a little bit of that mm. magic. If it has a heartbeat, he wouldn't be able to see through it. So like the desk pig. He'd be able to see through it when it was a desk and not when it was a pig. <laughs> but but he can see, but he can see through the back of his own head. Yeah, but it's his own head. I feel like I feel like it's like, the vessel. it's like a, because he is part of the vessel, he's able to, you know, because the eye is part of the vessel. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I just, I don't buy the fact that everything is invisible to him. He can see through everything all the time, always. Well, I he, think Cat... Think, think about all the stuff he would run into. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Cat, I, I think your explanation is as good as any and until J.K. Rowling herself touches on this on Pottermore, which, hey, I hope she does. Yeah, you hear that, um, Joe? We're begging. You know. Joe, please, please. <laughs> uh, but uh, until that happens, it is just a theory. And remains unproven. Still very fascinating to talk about. Different subject from last week's episode now from Elder Bubble Wand. I think it is very possible that Sirius could appear in the fireplace at Hogwarts. First, we know Dumbledore can remove any blocks that have been put on Hogwarts. He did so in Half-Blood Prince when he removed one so he and Harry could fly in on brooms. Sirius could easily have contact with Dumbledore... The Ministry is not monitoring any mail yet, and they both care for the welfare of Harry, so it would be easy for Sirius to ask him to let him use a fireplace for messaging. As for telling the Ministry, why would he do that? He is Dumble-freaking-door. He can set up a private one-way fireplace chat room, if he likes, without <laughs> letting the flu network know. That's very well written. Okay. By Elder Bubble. <laughs> so the question... <laughs> The Elder Bubble, sorry. That's a great username. <laughs> Elder Bubble Wand is what it is. It's Bubble Wand. Elder Bubble Wand. I like it. The more that I that say it. That sounds like it should be wand. like remix. Like, I can't beatbox. You know, like. Elder Bubble Wand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yo. But, um, yeah, that was from the question last week about how serious 
could get into Hogwarts seemed very easy uh, for him. And there is one thought. Our final <laughs> comment comes from Honey Duke's Empire. Another great <laughs> username. We should yeah. just Bravo. spend a week and and feature all of these really awesome usernames that our listeners have. Uh, but we do anyway when we read comments from them. So there's your incentive for participating in our discussion. Honey Duke's Empire says, Something going through my mind while listening to this podcast was this question. Why isn't Lupin writing to Harry and expressing his concern and giving advice? I would assume Lupin is aware that Harry is in the tournament, since it is making the front page, and this is a life-or-death situation for Harry. Lupin must realize someone is setting Harry up by putting his name in, so he could have warned Harry about Karkaroff. I really liked this comment. I that Because when I read the book, I was... Uh, of course, as you all know, Lupin is my favorite character, and not having him in this book, but having like occasional references to him made me sad. Kind of like when I read, um, uh, I think is it a Wind in the Door, which is the sequel to uh, A Wrinkle in Time, and the three witches are never mentioned again. <gasps> and, no! and I love those characters, and they never come back. Um, and it's it's it, it, it's it, this seems pretty logical because a few people on the forums were wondering if. It was because Lupin was with the werewolves, but he wasn't there at that time yet. That doesn't happen no. until after the order is reformed. Um, yeah. So there, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a gap here um, as far as Lupin's participation. I feel like he was probably letting Sirius have his day, like, <laughs> like no, like Lupin had a whole year with Harry, and I mm. think that Lupin and Sirius has pro- have probably been in some sort of contact with each other. So maybe, you know, Sirius is consulting with Lupin and Lupin is just kind of stepping back and letting Sirius take the role that James and Lily gave him. Maybe Lupin is bitter because Harry didn't write to him at the beginning of the year when his scar hurt, when he had that dream. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's Harry's own fault. He doesn't reach out to the people who love him. He doesn't come across as a bitter character to me. So No, no. But... Oh, well. Uh, again, that comment came from the forums. There were a few other topics there that we shall not mention, including one where uh, what would happen or is the reason Ron doesn't like Harry because he thinks that Hermione and Harry are going to get together. Other things like that were talked about all the way on the forums, as they are every week, and this is where these comments come from. Thank you, everybody who commented on last week's episode. We will still monitor those chat threads as we do continue in the books. And, and especially if you have great names. Yes, and we will true. highlight that. Go read the names. Great names. Go exactly. go read all of the topics that shall not be named. Anyway, so let's move on to our podcast question of the week responses. So the question was: In chapter nineteen, Hagrid shows the dragons for the first task to both Harry and Madame Maxime. He shows Harry to help him succeed in the first task, and he shows Maxime to help his wooing efforts, which in turn helps Fleur gain knowledge of the dragons. But we want to know. For whom is is Hagrid doing this more? Is he most motivated to help Harry, or is he primarily focused on Madame Maxime and just sees a chance to also help Harry in the process? So not surprisingly, we got a lot of crap for this question. <laughs> um, but I think it's a valid question. I will support, not having been there when it was asked, I support this 100%. Yeah, I think it's, it's totally valid too, but uh, I was surprised that there was actually a lot of different answers to this so the first one we have here is from amanda curry she says i think that hagrid was doing it to help harry primarily based on the fact that he thought that the help wouldn't really make a difference in Fleur's performance in the task 
She tends to be more emotionally strong than physically or intellectually strong. I think that Hagrid took a calculated risk because he knew that Harry was at a disadvantage where his knowledge and experience was concerned and wanted to give him the chance to catch up to the others in a sense. Um, oh. I don't I don't see how Floor comes into Hagrid's thinking the way that this comment seems to suggest that she does. I think Harry was an afterthought. I mean, come on. How often does someone of, ha- of Hagrid's size come around? <laughs> come on. He must be so desperate. Well, we'll see. We'll see what others think if they agree. <laughs> well, actually, um, Supreme Mugwump, I think, agrees with you. Uh, Noah, you remember Supreme Mugwump. Uh, been of course around, I Been do. around since the beginning, I think. Yeah, um, just like Hufflepuff Skeen. Yes, Hufflepuff Skeen, exactly. Um, so the comment says, oh, Hagrid, I love the man, half giant. But really, I think his first thought on learning about the dragons from Crouch Jr., as others have said, was this will be such a great first date. Who wouldn't be impressed by dragons? At some point, he probably realized that he should tell Harry as well. Throughout the dragon scene, Harry completely, ig- I mean, throughout the dragon scene, Hagrid completely ignores Harry. He and Madame Maxime strive stride off, leaving Harry to jog after them, and Hagrid doesn't even really pay attention to Harry before they go back to pick Madame Maxime up. Throughout the scene, Harry is definitely an afterthought, and I don't see why that wouldn't be the case when he learned about the dragons, too. To be fair, Hagrid, or sorry, to be fair, Harry is under the invisibility cloak, is he not? He is. Uh, yes. Was that just Ooh. a movieism? I mean, come on. Because how is, ha- how is Hagrid supposed to acknowledge uh, Harry? If he's he's hidden and invisible and not supposed to be there without giving it away, yeah, yeah. Um, so I I wouldn't think you know too negatively of Hagrid not acknowledging him. Yeah, but yeah, but the question is, which did he weigh more important in the situation? I mean, mm-hmm. the only person he's had in his, in his uh, house maybe was uh, Buckbeak. You know, he hasn't had any other companionship for years, presumably. <laughs> we don't really he's know. Lo- he's lonely, <laughs> and Beaky went away. I- oh, Beaky. I think the thing that bothers me most about this is, like, by the time this is all over and Harry leaves, Hagrid doesn't even know that Harry left. And (laughs) (laughs) it served its purpose. (laughs) Harry just like, this is ridiculous. And he just jets. And (laughs) Hagrid doesn't even ask him later what happened. Yeah, like, oh, what happened? Did I step on you? Like, nothing. Uh, Did I (laughs) step step on him? (laughs) Harry's accidentally stepped on and left. (laughs) I mean, or eaten by a dragon. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. That's a super valid point. Hagrid clearly just doesn't care. And it's late. Like, it's it's almost one o'clock in the morning that point isn't it like crazies come out there (laughs) oh he's so irresponsible okay so our next our next comment comes from archduke severus (laughs) we we are full of good usernames this week uh bravo to all the listeners out there bravo the comment says i think that hagrid wasn't really going there with the purpose of showing harry or maxime as his main motivation he is just going there for personal interest and is bringing harry and maxime along because he thinks that they will be interested and as a follow-up amanda knight uh, McKnight replied, Agreed. Hagrid's first concern is just about the dragons. Since he doesn't seem inclined to cheat, impressing Maxime was probably his second concern. I think Hagrid can be naive sometimes and probably didn't consider Maxime would tell Floor. Little Crouch tells Harry that he has convinced Hagrid to show him the dragons after Harry comes back from the graveyard. I imagine that this is what Moody Crouch and Hagrid were discussing at the Three Broomsticks immediately before Hagrid gives Harry the invite. Also, since Hagrid didn't invite Harry into the day of the excursion, it seemed a bit last minute. Hagrid must have known about the dragons months in advance. So this actually, this evidence shows uh, quite a bit of restraint, uh... This evidence shows quite a bit of restraint for Hagrid not to have shown Harry. Of course, Hag- now it makes sense. Hagrid must have known. 
about the yeah, Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. He's gamekeeper. So the fact that it was a, an afterthought, though, would kind of, out of context, point to him, you know, thinking of Harry last and putting Maxime first. Yeah, I I, I agree with that reasoning. I do disagree, but, though, with part yeah. of the comment that he thought that Madame Maxime wouldn't tell Fleur. I think that would be obvious. No, unless he <laughs> thinks that... I th- I think he is naive. I think I, I, I do too. Yeah. If if you're if you're asking me what I think, I think this was a booty call, um, <laughs> or not, not a no. That's the wrong use of that word. It's 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 uh it's really a, a perfect date, as it was pointed out in the last episode. Um, this is for him and Maxime, and you know now that it he was convinced by Crouch to show Harry, that's great. He can bring him along. Um, but really, he just wanted to impress Maxine. Do they end up together? No. Mm. no what they happens? go there. They they go um, on the countryside together. They travel for months and months, and you know, get the, get the dragon or get the giants and stuff um, to cooperate. But I distinctly remember them kind of going different ways. Right, and we never hear yeah. from her again. Right, that's what I meant. Right. Like after the fact. Yeah, that's a little sad. Oh, poor Hagrid. Mm. Well, our last oh. our our last comment, which is. Um, Pretty hilarious comment, actually, from Subjective Unicorn again. says, I was wondering, why did Karkaroff follow them? If he had seen them going to the forest, all he would see is Hagrid and Madame Maxime going together to the forest. Why on earth would he follow someone who was having a date? Unless he glimpsed strange, fiery explosions when the dragons woke up from his ship. Otherwise, it would be strange just to follow two people who are having a midnight walk to the forest. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's a legitimate point. Maybe he was interested in seeing the after show. He is the creeper. He is the creeper. He's Give the him creeper. Moody's eye, and he will <laughs> never be seen again. But he will see you. Ooh. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, speaking of pretty much everybody cheating in this tournament, we're going to move on to Chapter 20. Axio. Chapter 20. Axio. The first task. Axio. Gotcha. So, Harry wakes up completely frazzled after all of these anxious things that have been going on in his life, and he tries to put his hat on his foot, thinking that it's his sock, so he's pretty pretty on edge at this time. Um, and the first thing he does is go downstairs and find Hermione to tell her everything that Sirius uh, told him the previous evening. Uh, he seems to skip over the fact that he, throw- he had thrown a button at Ron's head. Uh, but Hermione, uh, luckily is much more interested in figuring out what to do about the dragons than about Karkaroff, because as she puts it, let's just try and keep you alive until Tuesday. <laughs> so, priorities. they of course head to the library, um, and we get what I realized is this odd tradition, or in a way a gag, of the trio searching, researching for really simple things, because even in this chapter it stated that uh, Sirius had said to Harry that the spell that he needs is something simple. So they actively start looking for something simple. Um, but this is something we see a lot. Despite Hermione's excellent researching skills, they never find what they're looking for right away. Uh, <laughs> in, in, the, true. in the Sorcerer's and Philosopher's Stone, we have the issue of searching for Nicholas Flamel that takes an entire year. 
Uh, information. <laughs> hey, this is, I think you've uncovered something and we shouldn't bring it up because it makes Joe look bad. This is a story. This is how stories work. One, in okay. a, in what are you a, talking about? Can't have the mystery solved in a day. Okay, if any one of us were to show up at Hogwarts in any year of Harry's, we could probably save some lives. That's <laughs> just like that with the books though. If they found the right book. But you're right. I think there is a connection to be made. I mean, Hermione, it did take him all year. Yeah. To find that the Nicholas Flamel, she had him looking in the wrong section. How could she be so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, when, when you find out about Nicholas Flamel, he seems to be a pretty, like, major figure in wizarding history. Right? Um, and he's only in one book, and it's not even a book that he should be in. <laughs> Maybe he's not as famous as he thinks he should be. Muggles know or, about Nicholas Flamel. He's obviously famous. Yeah. He's bigger in the other world. Yeah. But, but my question about the simple, the, the, the fact that it was referred to as simple, and now in this chapter they're looking for simple hexes, simple jinxes. You know, simple is a matter of opinion. Harry should know that. Um, but did we ever find out, did Sirius ever say, what he was actually going to recommend yes. before the conversation got... And was it a summoning charm or not? No, he... Because the summoning charm comes out of Moody's suggestion later. The what, Right. Uh, he was going to suggest that pink eye charm that I believe Crumb uses on the, his uh, dragon. Oh, okay. Um, Crumb... Yeah, Crumb is the one I think who yeah, uses Yeah, conjunctivitis charm. Yeah, conjunctivitis. Because oh, I remember Hermione going, that was what Crumb used, you know, so I figured it was found out. But... I don't know how simple it is, but regardless, even not even that charm seemed to have uh, appealed to them if they did find it in their book. Yeah, no, they did so... And there's really nothing that comes up for them because they keep finding charms that'll actually make the dragon stronger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, their research kind of leads them nowhere, and uh, eventually Harry vocally tells Hermione to shut up, and then Crumb shows up. Um, and so that research session is completely ruined. Um... So, a little while later, uh, Harry spots Cedric and realizes that Cedric has, is the only champion who has no idea about the dragons. And so, he tries to tell Cedric, but unfortunately Cedric is surrounded by a bunch of friends who don't like Harry. So, rather than do things properly and say, excuse me, can I talk to you for a moment? <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry commits the first use that we see of the Defindo spell, the severing charm in the series. Um, there's, there's two big spells that are actually presented in this, uh, in this particular chapter. Defindo is one of them. Um, and I know this is a bit of a diversion, but I thought it would be fun to go examine a little more about Defindo because we give a, we are, we are given a lot of information on it. In um, the Book of Spells, uh, the uh, very good. the uh, very depth. the PlayStation Three video game. You know, I'm um, all about history and background, so <laughs> I am so glad it. somebody is paying attention to that game. <laughs> so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a little we're gonna have a charms lesson here. So the first thing to know is you everybody take out your copies of the Book of Spells by Miranda Goshawk. Okay, here you go. And in, I've already raised my wand. <laughs> I <I'm> memorized. <laughs> good, wonderful. Well, uh, all right. But if we just know the theory, does that work, or do we need to practice this? Well, we'll. Get to, we'll get to that discussion in a moment. <laughs> but first, let us learn the, the motion for the, 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 the severing charm. In the Book of Spells, it is basically a letter N. Kind of a letter N, kind of like you're slicing something. Um, it's a little different on Pottermore. It's a backwards letter N, or a V with a very fine flair to it. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's what it is. It is... 
It is very common spell. It's used in many trades, but um, it will sec to sempra the heck out of you if you use it wrong. Um, <laughs> wizards before this spell was invented frequently burned or shredded what they were trying to cut prior to the spell's invention. So thank God this spell was invented, or Harry would have had to set Cedric on fire <laughs> to get his attention. <laughs> this, or his bag. Just his bag on fire. Just set his bag on fire. Oh, just another day at Hogwarts. You're back. He's got to run to like the nearest tap or something. And, and he's like, no, no, you go on ahead. I got to take care of this fire. <laughs> Flaming bag. <laughs> but the spell, actually, we are, we are given the actual spell's creation. Um, only some of the spells are revealed to have origin stories in the Book of Spells, but this one was specifically created in the 15th century in London by Madame Delphina Crimp, a seamstress who utilized the spell for cutting cloth and thread. If you do have the opportunity, listeners, to uh, experience the actual story through the PlayStation, it is a very enjoyable experience. You get a whole little puppet theater show um, that tells the story, <laughs> and but but and you get to pull the little levers and make things happen. But I have given a shorter kind of con- condensed version, and what happens is Madame Crimp was nearly exposed as a witch for her use of the spell when a rival Muggle tailor named Snickerton posed as an Snickerton posed as an employee in her shop in order to find out the secret of her clothes making and discovered her using Defindo. The next day, Snickerton brought a mob t- with him to arrest Crimp, tying her up and searching the room for her wand. When Madame Crimp asked to be untied so as to scratch a wart on her face, which her captors foolishly allowed her to do, she quickly revealed the wart to be her disguised wand. She, what? <laughs> yep, she pulled her wand out of her face. She, she then disapparated with all of her money, supposedly leaving London, but continued to haunt Snickerton by severing all of the clothes he made to bits every single night, <laughs> driving Snickerton insane and causing him to think he was being stalked by a giant pair. Of invisible scissors. So that's... Yeah, I, I, uh, I love J.K. Rowling. Joe, that, I love you. That is your epic history on the simple Defindo spell. Use it wisely, use it carefully, and never get between a witch seamstress and her work. You know, I want to feel bad for Snickerton, but I still feel more bad for Cedric Diggory's brand new bag. <laughs> yes, it is. It is quite sad this this little moment. But it, this is his new bag, and there's ink everywhere, there's all ink. over the. How do you know it's? I, it doesn't say. Oh yeah, just say. He brand says new. it's, it's my new. It's just so weird that this has just happened to me. It's my new bag. Brand new and all, yeah, right there. You know, if this were a Weasley, you would have set this kid back like a year's allowance, okay? <laughs> like you can't hey, Eric, do that, that to people. That's an awful thing to say. <laughs> you just you just can't do that to people, Harry. You just can't defendo his bag. <laughs> there per- perhaps had been a more polite way of going about it. again approaching him and maybe saying, "Excuse me, can I?" It's talk the to Gryffindor you move. Yes, it, I mean, but- it definitely is. Uh, we do live in a world where you can just wave your wand and say "reparo." We sure do. Um, Except I don't. I, I wonder. Well, there is the, the there's the cleaning spell, isn't it, Turgio, to get rid of all the ink off of all of his stuff. <laughs> so, but and oddly enough, Harry, so Harry tells Cedric about the dragons, and oddly enough, after splitting his bag open and you know just approaching him for really the first time ever, Cedric finds this to be quite suspicious. Um, Harry, though, is shocked that Cedric does not believe him and kind of goes into the whole mode of, gee, this Hufflepuff is kind of dumb. 
How could he not believe me? And but when you look at it, Cedric's pretty—it's pretty reasonable that Cedric has no idea like whether he should trust Harry or not at this point, because um, Harry basically says, "You're the odd one out. You don't know that what we all know. So now you know." Did it, did anyone else find this interesting that Harry talks about being fair, and that was why I did it, and then comes to the conclusion that he must be Hufflepuff? Mm. Or was I the only one that? decided that i mean you repeat you repeat that just because harry was fair he should be a hufflepuff well when cedric confronts him about why he was telling him he just he's like oh you know i I just i thought it'd be the fair thing to do and hufflepuffs are all about fairness so he is showing some hufflepuff traits cedric's rubbing off on him or somebody's rubbing off on him (laughs) (laughs) an invisibility cloak that only moody can see I promised that Cat's dirty moment of the show wasn't going to happen this week, but it did. <laughs> I don't get it, but I, I don't think want it's a, to get it. It's my favorite new section. Oh, okay, is it? It's not going to happen next week. That this, I promise this time. We'll have to see. It will so, not happen next week. So, of course, Moody witnesses all of this because Crouch Junior just knows when to lurk at just the right time. Little Little Crouch. Little Crouch. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying all of these names. Everybody's coming up. M- Moody Crouch. Crouch, <laughs> crouch, little crouch. I like all these names. We're I'll call him to. BCJR. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh goodness, BC Barty Crouch. You see, that sounds like another dirty something. Not really. Please go on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Moody pulls Harry aside, even though Harry is already grossly late for herbology, uh, and takes him to his office. And uh, Harry notes he, he, Harry recollects all of the previous. Uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers and how their offices looked and how this particular one characterizes Moody. And he notices that there's like a lot of weird instruments just sitting all around. And as Moody explains, they are his dark detectors. And he's basically had to switch all of them off because they're giving him away. Um. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's because students are so sneaky and they lie all the time and students are totally throwing those instruments off. It can't be that Moody himself is doing any kind of deceiving. It's the beauty of misdirection right here. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous misdirection. But that was was kind of weird because if he purchased them, I, I assume he stole them from Moody, but shouldn't they work in his favor, or do they well, just re- respond to all darkness? Well, and that's that's the interesting deceit. thing, because we get, Moody specifically points out the pole glass, and as we find out later, uh, the pole glass actually shows um, Crouch Jr.'s enemies approaching to warn him. Um, which would be in this, in the case of the book, it ends up being McGonagall, Dumbledore, and Snake. Um, mm-hmm. so the pole glass does seem to work for Moody. But everything else in the room, or for Crouch Jr. rather, but everything else in the room doesn't. Um, and the faux glass is something we really don't get much more explanation on. Moody gives a very, very kind of vague explanation for what it is. Um, he says that he's not in trouble until he sees the whites of their eyes. Um, mm. So it's a very strange device. And again, yeah, it seems to work for him. I don't know if he's re-enchanted that one specifically or not. Mm. Um, I'm betting that we're going to get more info on this on Pottermore. It seems like like it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like finger, fingers crossed. Mirrors are crazy, guys. They can do they can do a lot of cool stuff. They and they're all over. They're all over this book. There are like so many mirrors that do things. It's true. Invis- the mirror in the very beginning, the two way mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The mirror Vera said. Yeah, we've got some pretty pretty important mirrors in this series. So hopefully, again, yeah. asking questions for for Rowling to answer on Pottermore. 
Um, Hopefully she's taking notes. Yes, Are you writing these down, Joe? <laughs> something that struck me um, while a train comes by. I hope it wasn't the train. Pardon it's a, me. It's your train of thought. Um, something. Hogwarts Express. <laughs> something that stru- something that struck me uh while reading this part in this chapter was that Moody really does seem to care and seem to try and the fact that he brings Harry in Harry feels like he's going to be disciplined and then he says you know that was a darn decent thing you did Harry um I really feel that that Barty Crouch who we know to be Moody in disguise is really making an effort at teaching, at caring about student affairs, the fact that he observes, hey, that was a nice thing you did. Like, who does that if he's really just all about Harry's death? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is that he's in awe of Harry, and I think that just being in his presence whenever he possibly can be, whether he has to be nice or dastardly when he is, um, mm-hmm. I think that that's the most important thing to him. It's just to, oh, that's, to that's figure cool. out how he works. Yeah, I never thought about that, but Harry must be a thing of legend for... Barty Crouch. Mm-hmm. Especially for being the one who killed his master. Right, exactly. Yes. That's a good point. So in that in that respect, Moody uh, attempts to kind of not tell Harry what to do, but he basically tells Harry what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Put two and two together. He's like, come on, kid, it's not difficult. <laughs> and, and you can almost see his mounting frustration with Harry's cluelessness at this point. <laughs> Um, but he holds it together and eventually Harry hits on what he needs to do. He rushes to Herbology and tells Hermione, you need to help me. And she goes, I've been trying to help you this whole time. <laughs> and, and then they decide that they, that Harry needs to learn summoning charms by tomorrow. So with Harry and Hermione being in a very intense training session on the summoning charm, Harry even practices outside of class. I just really, I had to highlight this passage just because I thought it was really funny. Uh, during divination, um, Harry and Ron spot each other and, 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 cause Harry makes a quite a loud, rude comment and Harry and Ron make eye contact, but don't say anything to each other. And Harry spends the rest of the lesson trying to attract small objects toward him under the table with his wand. He managed to make a fly zoom straight into his hand, though he wasn't entirely sure that he was pr- that that was his prowess at summoning charms. Perhaps the fly was just stupid. <laughs> that's a great moment. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's like all the confidence Harry ever needs, right? He's <laughs> away. He's like, I got it. Or did he just fly into my hand because flies do that? Right. Oh gosh. But in- interestingly enough, as we open our uh, copies of the Book of Spells once again, <gasps> again, <laughs> I was going to ask because this this is not explained. The fact that <laughs> Harry and Hermione are up all night, and she says something about him having to concentrate. And we find that his mistakes are causing these objects to fly. It's described as being Mm half-heartedly. They get about halfway across the room and stop. But unlike the Patronus, which, you know, granted, took a lot more time to learn, you know, it was always very clear what he had to do. Oh, happy thought. You know, it's still not really explained how uh, the summoning charm, what what you've got to do with your mind. Are well, you just focusing on the object, that sort of thing. I, I kind of thought about that because when he's summoning the firebolt, we haven't got there yet, but he has to like really concentrate on the image of the firebolt. So it seems to be that the magic pulls on your image in your mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to hear about it, Michael. What it, what does it say? Well, I'm fearful that, that we won't quite get the answers we're looking for from this Darn information. It. But again, open your books. To to this the, to the section on summoning three hundred and ninety four to the summoning charm chapter 
And、uh, repeat after me because this is an important one. You may have heard a lot of misinformation across the Wizarding World, and as we know, pronunciation of a spell is extremely. It's it is not. Of course, it is. What are you talking about? It is not, and this actually caused quite a fervor on the forums because on, in the Book of Spells game, which is officially sanctioned by Rowling. And there is still debate about this, but in that, and the narrator asks you to pronounce it, or you can't keep going with the game. Is Axio? What? <laughs> I don't buy it. Axio. I don't buy it. It's a conspiracy. This is like the guy who invented gifs, calling <laughs> like saying that you can pronounce that they're supposed to be pronounced gifs. No, it's graphic image format. G. Good gif. Well, gif. The, granted, <laughs> I'm still <laughs> angry about this. Guh, guh, it's Accio. It's Accio. Well, and、uh. this goes along too with the pronunciation of Voldemort, which Rowling always intended to be Voldemort, but nobody said it、yes. that way. I say that's、Voldemort. true. I know you do. I noticed you doing that in in some other episodes.、Um, and she has even relented to saying Voldemort herself now. Seen、um, Voldemort in the movies,、mm-hmm. so she's become Americanized, guys. So Axio, A- I mean that's that's pretty close. I could say say Accio. I mean that's pretty close. So、Accio. we will leave it up to you, listeners. But remember, you may end up with a buffalo on your chest if you do it wrong. Um, but the the the, the, the、uh, like that guy and that thing. Unless that's your intention. <laughs> that's unless, not, yes,、yeah. unless that's what you want. But the uh, the uh, movement of of Uh, for your wand is is just an arc. It is an arc like you're moving something from one point to another.、Uh, Axio is considered to be one of the oldest and most useful spells in wizarding history. Most magical objects、uh, have an anti-theft device on them now to prevent them from being summoned by anyone but their owner.、Mm, um, clever. So you can't just go taking things from people, other magical people. Um, but it must not be used where Muggles might see the object being summoned. That which, of course, would be a direct breach of the international statute of secrecy. It is interestingly enough, and this goes along with the idea of Harry summoning a fly, and this may answer his question: is it is ineffective on most living creatures except useless ones like flabberworms. <laughs> <laughs> does the Book of Spells say "useless" to describe flabberworms? It does indeed. That's a、uh, <laughs> claim. So this high and mighty book of spells passing judgment on my favorite creatures. Hey, do, do flies fall in the useless category? I feel that they would, especially because I don't. Th- other than their wings, I don't think they have any other magical properties. That alone would would really answer the question as to whether or not it was the fly or, or Harry. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fly or the spell. Which we need to know. But yes, Eric, if you if you wish. To argue the point further, I think you need to take it up with Miranda Goshawk. Unfortunately, I believe she has passed away, but she may have some descendants who you can talk to about this because they are still publishing her books in mass at Flourish and Blots.、Um, there we go. So, but but there, and while we do not get a origin story on、uh, the summoning charms, presumably because it is so old, we do get a cautionary tale、um, from the Book of Spells. The summoning charm was first proven to be extremely dangerous by a man named Gideon Flatworthy, who was an anti-Muggle extremist who formed the Axionites, a group that declared war on Muggle ways of living in 1743, and enacted their beliefs by utilizing magic to do nearly everything. 
They notably favored the summoning charm for its convenience in fetching things, one of the many tasks they found demeaning. After attempting to steal gold utilizing the summoning charm, as the Axionites thought it was foolish to waste energy to go to Gringotts and get the money, and nearly being caught multiple times by the band of angry goblin goldsmiths who they'd stolen from, Flatworthy and his followers ended up apparating to a cave in Pembrokeshire, where all of the Axionite followers became disillusioned and abandoned Flatworthy. Um, and it should be noted that in the book he only has, or in the uh, Book of Spells, it is de- he's only depicted as, ha- as having two followers. <laughs> so <laughs> they leave pretty quickly. On September 18th, 1743, in a it's last... oddly specific. I wonder what time of day this is. <laughs> <laughs> it is noted specifically by wizard historians that this was the day this occurred. <laughs> in a last-ditch effort that was either brought on by stubbornness or delirium, Flatworthy attempted to summon an entire farm. While he... <laughs> he, in fact... Because... Did try. Making things for yourself is just not good enough. <laughs> while, That's the hard way. And while he failed to move the cottage or farmhouse he was after, because unfortunately the summoning charm cannot do that, he did manage to summon quite a bit of livestock, including a few cows as well as a few hay bales, which arrived in the cave and promptly crushed him to death. Wow. <laughs> can, in can the I cave? Just... Um, did it? Did like a cow like come through a cave wall? Just <laughs> boom, probably through the, the opening, Eric. Through the opening of the cave. Either way, yes, there there was a. He was landed on by a cow, and that was the end of him. And he was found by the Muggle farmer who owned all of this livestock. And you know what's him. funny? And this has nothing to do with anything, but Pembrokeshire. That's where Dobby's beach is. That's where he's buried. Oh, oh really? How in- oh, I did well, not that know that area of Wales. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey guys, this story sounds kind of far fetched. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Noah is back, everybody! <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, I was going go. to suggest this is 1743 when this happened. It would be funny if she tied it into the Wizard of Oz by putting it in the 1920s and saying there, that Henry Gale's farm was. <laughs> Aki, oh my was god! Aki, it was so it, funny. It was summoned it all the way over. to. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. it's a missed opportunity. Joe, rewrite it. No, but it's still, I like the way it is. Um, yeah. That's very, very clever. And awesome. the only theory we really get in the book is from Hermione, as you previously noted, where she says, you've just got to concentrate really hard. And also, it does not matter how far away the object is, as long as you're concentrating really, really hard. See, <laughs> I, I would tend to be like, I think it's important how far the object is, just because it'll take longer to get where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, would, like, I was suggesting, well, why wouldn't Harry, or I was going to suggest, why wouldn't Harry just already put his firebolt, like, at the edge of some trees or something in the forest so that it would get to him quicker? Because, you know, obviously it builds tension, but during the task in this chapter, he's waiting for it, and he do- he isn't sure if it worked, because it is coming from, presumably, his trunk in his bedroom, in his common room, in his tower in the castle. You know, I I thought is it ever and it must it must be and I might be forgetting it, but remind me is it ever stipulated that the champions can't bring anything other is it is is it required that they can only use their wands? It says they can only use their wands. It definitely doesn't say they couldn't bring anything. Because mm, that, uh, that's I, I oh it's my oh guys it's my lucky fireball. I take it with me to all of my triwizard. <laughs> I need it. I need it. <laughs> so. So Harry, don't mind the firebolt in the corner of the room. <laughs> oh, so, 
Harry and uh, Hermione stay up quite late into the night practicing this spell, and eventually, around 2 a.m., they quit. Um, and Harry has finally mastered the spell to at least get a lot of objects across the room, um, but he's still anxious that this isn't going to work. But uh, the next day, he um, he goes to breakfast and is summoned by McGonagall to head down to the tournament. McGonagall uh, does her best to keep her composure, but it doesn't do it very well. And uh-huh. <laughs> sends him off on his way. Um, Harry goes into the tent and sees the champions there, and he gets a nice smile from Cedric, so at least Cedric acknowledges, oh, hey, I believe you now, because there's definitely dragons over at the other side of the wall. Um, and uh, rolling, I just had to note, builds some re- really impressive tension in the scene, because I've read this scene multiple times, and I still found myself rereading it, getting nervous for Harry. Which is kind of silly, because I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some really great descriptions of Harry's nerves, how he kind of, the, he's, his perception is getting a little foggy, and how he, when he eventually gets out there, all the sound gets tuned out. Um, a lot of great yeah, writing moments great. here. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember specifically from this chapter, him wanting to say good luck to Cedric, but only like a horse grunt comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that a, sound like? A horse grunt out of Harry's 14 year old boy mouth. <laughs> or whatever a horse sounds like when it grunts. At which Cedric stops just for a moment. <laughs> and immediately yeah, him and Cedric are not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no one horse grunts at me. <laughs> Should have used preparation H. No, that's wrong. What? Wrong body part, dude. No, should have used, what is it, for your word vomit. Oh, well, anyway. (laughs) But uh, as this is all going on, Bagman attempts to, after briefly explaining what's going to happen, uh, and with really not that much summary, but giving them a bag of dragons and having them pull them out, Bagman pulls Harry aside um, and asks him if he needs any help. If he needs anything, you know, like a glass of water, maybe some <laughs> techniques for cheating. Uh, and Harry, I'm at a score of ten, Bagman. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if you gave me a score of ten? <laughs> but uh, Harry, being honest and also having no idea what's going on, uh, uh, tells Bagman, "No, thank you." And then they are uh, asked to pick out their dragons. And I'm actually really glad Noah is here for this because once oh, yes, again, we must ask. <laughs> Is it alive? And it's funny because this literally hasn't come up in like three months or something. No way. It's serendipitous. (laughs) It's so great. I made made the note in my book. I was going to bring it up. No, of course I was, but someone already has. And what are your thoughts on this, Noah? Um, I I mean, to think logically, they're probably just, you know, transfigured. Something or others they'll probably change soon. They're not alive, of course. It's magic. You know, why we shouldn't get hung up on such a such a topic. Somebody such, check his oh. temperature. Uh, such such yeah. trivial wow. things. You've changed, Noah. I don't know if I like the new you. <laughs> yeah, you've been away no, no, way no, too because, long. Because I was I was ready to jump on the bandwagon of complaining that uh Bagman who was the man with the bag? Yeah, these dragons. The bag man was, su- was suffocating <laughs> these these poor little creatures. Oh my god! No, I mean, I mean, it's magic, Eric. They're they're probably fire <laughs> needs oxygen to survive, and these dragons were deprived of it. They're laying in the bag, waiting to be picked, like some uh, uh, toy soldier. What's he gonna What's he gonna do with them after they're picked? Well, you know, I was surprised. No champion. Just like took the little replica 
out. And then if there was like a really narcissistic breed of dragon that just like, oh, look at the little baby me. It's a little baby. And then distracted and then got the, uh, what if they the squished him? <gasps> yeah. What, what if, if they accidentally got stepped on or something? Oh, no. What if crumb in some like very prideful, you know, forceful gesture just squashed the dragon against his, uh, oh, that's sad. against his shirt. <laughs> just the sort of thing crumb would do. It's, it's not, not really alive. alive. Don't worry. Noah alive. said, hey, hey, cat, cat. Noah said it wasn't alive. You can relax. It's okay. It's okay. But it I wasn't think alive. They're, they're, they're little dragons. Yeah, Harry, Harry keeps his and puts it on his, on his, on his, uh, nightstand. I know, and it curls up and goes to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Come it is on. alive. It has to be. It, well, it has it, to have it, some sort of sentence. And, and we see similar magic to this earlier on when Ron buys his little crumb figure. Yeah. I think it's an mm. animation spell. Like, mm. some, you know, something that gives life to an inanimate object. It has, maybe it has a short lifespan, like a bumblebee or something. Well, I was just going to say it's a good thing that Scabbers isn't around because that little dragon would probably get pretty hungry in Harry's trunk over the course well, of the Well, they can probably years. blow fire. I think it, it does. Little fireverse. Well, and remember <laughs> too, Ron will eventually disassemble his crumb model. Um. <laughs> Murderer! Murder! So yes, there, there, there could be some indictments on Ron for, for miniature murder. Uh, going on there. <laughs> Miniature murder. Miniature murder. Weird. Little tiny murder. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, after the dragons are picked, Harry essentially spends the rest of the time having to ever so agonizingly listen to Bagman go, ooh, 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 for about an hour or so. And then eventually he gets to go out into the enclosure and face the Hungarian horn tail. Um, and really, the 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 only thing I could really think to point out here is that this and you know of course we'll get to this when we eventually watch the movie, uh but this is a pretty drastically changed the the this got pretty drastically changed in the film, um because here in the book this is all very tactical based on Harry's part once he summons the broom he he uses some pretty in, impressive smarts to get the egg from the dragon. Versus the yeah. movie where he just runs away as far as he can. Yeah, and you know, that, I mean, again, we'll get there, but that made me so mad because there's so much they cut out of that movie, and I get it, like, it's a fantastical ac- action sequence, mm-hmm. but like, come on, that's five minutes of film that you could have put into something else. Well, I think that in the movie specifically, it would have been difficult to shoot a huge dragon in a small enclosed space uh, and make it look real or make it look interesting. I mean, I think... I, I particularly do like the chase sequence because yeah, it shows too. us it shows us more of Hogwarts than just the darn courtyard. Which I'm so <laughs> tired of seeing them in. Every time I watch the movie, I'm like, okay, they're in a courtyard now. But it shows a little more of Hogwarts. I like that. Um, the, I agree, though, that in the book it is very tactical, and and Harry's got to slowly rise a couple of feet each time on his broom to get the dragon to really. And he hypnotizes. He basically puts it in a trance to really, like, want him so much that it lifts up, and then he swoops down and gets it. It, it is brilliant, but I don't hate the moment of the film. I, I will say that it occurred to me that, really, the whole fourth movie, which, again, we'll get to, is really just one thing chasing Harry after another. <laughs> so the, the, fact, the fact that the dragon broke completely free and is chasing him, it's just like, oh, great, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Well, and um, I, I love, too, that earlier on, when McGonagall brings Harry to the tent... She specifically states, "We have wizards standing by in case anything happens." And I'm like, "What are they going to do if he eat if it eats him?" Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what do you do yeah. then? There, there really isn't much. I don't think of. They're going to pull a tauntaun and <whistles> slays it right down the middle. 
Ooh, pull him out. Gosh. Yeah, no. I, 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 is there a regurgitation spell? Oh, maybe if it, maybe if it, maybe if it eats his hands, they'll give him a hook to replace it. <laughs> replacement for your troubles. Yeah, no, it's. It, it's this seems and this really is like the I, I feel this is kind of the riskiest task of the three. Um, oh, very much. And because there really is no way that really you could save somebody if they were seriously injured in this situation. Um, but luckily, Harry got, gets through this pretty quickly. Um, I should also note too, fastest. just because I, I did think it was funny. The dragon's description is nothing like we see in the movie. It actually looks more like a giant version of Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon, but with spikes on the end of its tail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> According to the description in the book, we get more of a giant lizard in the book, than, but in the movie we get we get a horned face tail thing. Um, but, you know, it's a great set piece, so why waste it on the five minutes that would have taken if they had done it exactly like the book? Um, but after it's over... Uh, there's some interesting things that happen. One is that Ron and Harry make up in a very awkward, very teenage boy way, and Hermione bursts into tears at the whole thing. Um, I, that I just I classic Hermione. I love that, like those six or seven lines. It just mm. I absolutely love it. I think it's adorable. <laughs> I would have liked. I would have liked to have heard Ron say, "I'm sorry, I was an arse. But Harry, I felt the, the same thing. way. It's, it's not about gloating though, and that's that's why what Harry does is the right move. He's like, don't bother. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Really, it's fine. Really, doesn't make Ron actually apologize. I think he's letting him off a little easy, but that's just Harry's character. Well, and he gives him a little jibe before and caught on. Have you took you long enough? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know so that's, that that is my favorite line of the entire movie because of the way he says it. Took you long enough? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Just something about took it. Took you long enough? <laughs> I have weird yeah. favorites. Mm, Ravenclaw. <laughs> <laughs> so after they make up, Ron gives Harry a kind of quick play-by-play of what happened for all of the other champions, um, and he brings up some interesting things about the what what happened, and the scoring reflects that, and uh, raised a, quite a few questions for me about really how this tournament's kind of dumb. Uh, Crum, Crum, Ron notes, causes some of his dragon eggs to be destroyed, um, because he uses the conjunctivitis curse and the dragon stumbles around and steps on its own eggs. Now, points are taken away for this, um, at least Ron assumes so. Um, how would you know that as you're, as you're actually, how would you know the things that are gonna deduct points from you? Because there is no explanation going into this, even once you've picked your dragon about what you're supposed to do. Yes, that's that's the problem I have with this task. Because, <laughs> excuse me, with the second task, they at least have the egg which has a clue inside it, and mm-hmm. they are told this. Mm-hmm. But even when getting, like, they don't know, and I was reading very carefully, okay, if it weren't for Hagrid and the, and the big domino effect that happened with everybody finding out about dragons, they would have quite possibly, uh, or they could have quite possibly would have had no indication it was dragons until they reached their hand out of the bag. Because what uh, Bagman specifically says is your goal is to retrieve the egg when they're, when they're in the tent. So, so even then, until they actually pull the miniature dragons out, none of them should know that it's dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is severely mistaken. And, and, and furthermore, as you mentioned, Michael, none of the rules are given. If the goal is to reach the golden egg, who cares what happens to the other eggs? Yeah. Is it to do it 
sensitively so as not to offend <laughs> so as not to kill baby dragons because that's a thing well that's like, uh that's another ethical concern here because all these dragons i presume are mothers protecting their eggs they are and <laughs> they are there's like a, a huge ethical issue going on here in the wizarding world with creatures that i don't think is being brought up enough if i might go into that a little bit that's all i had about is it. that what your but, new job is you're working for hermione at the ministry it makes no. so much sense well, I, I think if they're testing a dragon's maternal instinct <laughs> come on <laughs> like that is that is way above their age level even asking for, for trouble year olds. asking for trouble even for 17 year olds that's way above anybody and not telling them about it even if they had told them about it months and months and months ago it's still i think wrong yeah um, no it's basically saying go into go into that arena and take that mother's baby <laughs> like see what happens to you see what happens to you and it's 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 it, it that again that's why i do believe this is like the most dangerous of the three tasks, and also really, the again, the scoring, because yet another interesting thing happens with the scoring, that mm. uh, we we turn our eyes to Karkaroff, and Harry's been getting excellent scores, eights and nines, he's doing really well on Dancing with the Stars, and suddenly, <laughs> Karkaroff throws up, of all things, a four. Um, now this, I have to bring up, why on earth are the headmasters and headmistresses whose students are participating allowed to be judges for this tournament? Well, isn't Dumbledore a judge? Is he not a judge? He is a judge. He is a judge. Okay, he is a judge. See, it doesn't matter so much that there are headmasters present as judges. It matters that Karkaroff specifically is a judge. Because Maxime gives him an eight. It's the first score that he gets, and he's like, well, I did kind of get poked in the arm there. So I can see that. A four is completely, completely out of line. Completely. You should have to, as a judge, be able to justify your score. There is no way Harry sucked it up that badly. And we know that Crumb screwed up by smashing some eggs, and Karkaroff gave him a 10. That blatant favoritism should actually be, or have oh, a power to be, gave him a 10. To, to be vetoed. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It should be allowed to be vetoed. When it's such an obviously biased answer, that, because Karkaroff gave Crum a 10 and gave Harry a 4, just to even the score out, that is complete BS. Well, and again, that's my concern for all, why all headmasters and headmistresses are allowed to participate, because... There is a, even though Karkaroff is the only one who blatantly, you know, gives a, gives, shows favoritism here, there is the concern that all of them could, uh, because their student is the one competing, and there's just a a bizarre assumption here that there's going to be no favoritism on the part of the teachers. If they all did, then the scores would be more equal. If they all, if they, if, oh, if they all showed favoritism, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Yeah, they would probably all average out, wouldn't they? Right, they would. Um, but but not I agree. Everybody's... I think it's pretty. Especially when you have people like if you're if you're you know apparating in people like Bagman and Crouch, officials from the ministry. Couldn't you get a few more people from the ministry to judge this from the sports and games department? <laughs> Yeah, just use them, right? Yeah, yeah, that seems more logical to me. But nobody takes any qualms with Karkaroff's uh, score except the audience, who can't do anything about it, and Ron, which Harry really loves. <laughs> um, and their mm. their their friendship is re-cemented, and they walk off together, heading back to Hogwarts with Ron giving a more detailed account of what occurred. But as uh, to conclude the chapter, out from behind a tree jumps Rita Skeeter. Um, with her quick quotes quill at the ready, um, and in a lovely show of his trademark snarkiness, 
Uh, Harry has a perfect response for her when she asks, I wonder if you could give me a quick word. How are you facing, how, how did you feel facing the dragon? How do you feel now about the fairness of the scoring? And Harry replies savagely, yeah, you can have a word. Goodbye. And they walk off to the castle. So much attitude. He's playing hard to get. (laughs) Harry in that moment, huh? Which, of course, will lead to... It is the first of many offenses towards Rita Skeeter, and she will get him back. We have no doubt. But that is how this chapter ends. That's a good ending. I I like the... I like sassy Harry, so... It's better than angry Harry, or angsty Harry. No, I disagree on that, but that's a whole other book. Wow, wow, okay. That was strong. We all have our favorite Harry. We should start compiling uh, points and really have them battle. Sassy Harry versus angry Harry. Was it emo Harry? Every time he's emo, we write it down. Every time he's sassy, we write it down. Compare the two. Yeah, somebody out there get on it, okay? (laughs) Okay. Okay, so um, the podcast question of the week falls to me this time, and... I've come up with a simple, but I think fairly fun question to throw out there. So we see Harry, and he's really struggling after he finds out the first task is dragons. He just has no idea what to do. No idea until, you know, Moody cheats, kind of cheats, and gives him an idea. Hmm. Let's pretend that cheating, that nobody cheated. What would Harry do? When he got into that arena and saw the dragon... What do we think his first instinct would have been? Ooh, that's I think a good question. I, I want everybody to get really creative and like dig deep into Harry's character on this. Um, I think some of the answers are going to be really good. So. Open up your book of spells. Yeah. And start studying. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think it could be a number of answers, and I'm really excited to hear what you guys think. So should be good. Michael, your your check is in the mail. <laughs> Let me say it again. Book of spells. <laughs> Wonder books. Ooh. PlayStation free. Sony. Oh. <laughs> yeah, someone's gotta play that game. It's true. I do want it, but I do not want the accessories that I will never use for any other game. Except but except, sometimes... except Book of Potions. Right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a book of potions. I need an old chemistry set. Like, uh, yeah. What was it like? Creepy crawlers, or like uh, there was this one where it was a mad scientist, and you could eat his his uh, food, and there was like an okay. oven. In I it think I think Mattel was... made something like that with Harry Potter once. They had like a little oh, really? Harry Potter. They had a few Harry Potter chem- like little silly chemistry set things. But you guys know where to go to answer the question. Go to alohamora.muggleland.com, leave your comment, we'll read it on the show next week. We want to thank Noah for his triumphant return to this episode. Thank you, Noah, for joining us. Uh, You're most welcome. It was very fun. And if you want to be on the show, listeners, just like Noah, uh, there's a few ways that we, that we need, the few things we need to know to find out how you can be on the show, head over to our website and check out, uh, uh, check out rather, the Be On The Show page at alohamora.mugglenet.com. Please make sure and have appropriate audio equipment. And in the meantime, uh, while you're waiting to find out if you could be on the show or not, subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes so we can know how we're doing and what we need to fix and what, we, uh, what you like that we're already doing correctly. No, no negative feedback, though. We don't like that. Cr- positive criticism. Pause. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and in the meantime, if you just want to keep in touch with us, follow us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore. You can leave us a voicemail at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. 
and our ever-growing popular Audioboo channel. Um, head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com. There's a little widget on the right side there. You click the little green record button. All you need is an internet connection and a microphone, and you can leave us a message, and we'll play it on the show like we have many times before. We have an Alohomora podcast store, which we would love for you to check out. We are now offering t-shirts, short and now long sleeve varieties, tote bags, sweatshirts, flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and more coming soon. Also, we have a few new designs, including MLF, the Mandrake Liberation Front, and Desk Pig is now available. You remember <laughs> Desk Pig? Everybody loves the Desk Pig. <laughs> creek, creek. It's Oink. true. <laughs> there are actually over 80 products to choose from with the Alohomora logo on them. And there are also ringtones available as well. And you can find out all of this stuff. Browse what we've got available by going to alohomora.mugglenet.com and clicking store at the top of the page. We also have an app for those of you with smartphones. Uh, it is available seemingly worldwide, pretty much all over the place. Prices vary depending on your location. But our app does include transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. So please make sure and check that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, that wraps up this episode. All of you listeners, make sure to go and study the Sony Wonder Book Book of Spells. And with that, I am Michael Harley. I am Eric Skull. And I am Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 58 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Elder Bubble Wand. Elder Bubble Wand. Somebody beatbox. No? Wow, that was good, Elder Bubble Wand. I don't I can't rap either, so Um So they start an intense training session, and Harry even... Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Keep it going. Keep it going the whole thing. We're kind of like the Hogwarts choir here. Nobody's doing it at the same time. Double, double, doing. Okay. So with... Am I am I a book too late? Not that it was ever in the book. No. 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 You know, somebody tweeted at us the other day, and shout out to whoever that was, but Goyle is apparently in that choir in that movie. Really? No. Yeah. I never noticed that. Go is that. it Goyle? Who, Josh Herdman. Was he Goyle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Goyle then. Oh, that's no crazy. Kidding. Yeah. Is he the one who went to prison? Uh, no. No. That's the other one. No, that's, that's the other one. one.
But yeah, oh. apparently he's in the choir, so everybody look out for that little Easter egg. And thanks wow. to whoever sent it on Twitter. I don't know who you are. <laughs> 